DBE Unfiltered, DBE Diverse Business Elite Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and community stakeholders who contribute to making a difference talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in this sometimes controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, I would encourage young people to look into it because it's an incredibly exciting field. Mm-hmm. One, it's a enjoyable career track for them as professionals. I think it could be very rewarding whether they are looking to be working at the Federal Reserve, Treasury, or even in a nonprofit space as a finance professional. There's so many different roles. We talked to Lorenzo Amani. Policy Advisor, U.S. Treasury Department, who shares why he believes financial literacy is one of the essential life skills for participating in modern society and economic system and why effective consumer policies depend on it. So, where are you from and what motivated you to work in policy? My mom is from Chicago, Illinois. My dad is from Goldsboro, North Carolina. My parents met in the military. They traveled around a lot. And subsequently, I lived in several places as a child. Spent most of my mm-hmm. adulthood or my, my teen years in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, right outside of Fort Bragg. Okay. And, and what motivated what it, your work in policy? It stems from my desire to make a difference in the world, uh, leveraging public resources, and being able to cultivate uh, relationships and networks between the public and private sector to solve some of society's most pressing issues. Okay, and and can you tell us a little bit about your work as a policy advisor in the Office of Consumer Policy at the Treasury Department? Yes, at the Treasury, uh, I work as a policy advisor in the Office of Consumer Policy. We're underneath domestic finance, so if you can think of anything that touches the American household uh, related to uh, household finances, household balance sheets, uh, we typically have a say in it. Our office helps to coordinate and uh, manage the Financial Literacy and Education Commission, Mm -hmm. 23 federal agencies that have a mission, well, they don't, their primary mission is not financial literacy, but it's a whole-of-government approach to get 24 agencies on the same page about uh, the provision of financial literacy for their constituents and trying to make sure that the, the latest and most up-to-date techniques are being used and we understand the, the landscape of financial literacy and also the financial environment that consumers operate in. We also focus on consumer protection. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're focused on the Stop Senior Scams Act. Uh, there are a lot of uh, older Americans 
being fraudulently scammed out of their hard-earned life savings via crypto mm-hmm. scams, romance scams, and we're having a lot of conversations about how to protect our most vulnerable Americans, which is older and those who are often lonely or have disabilities, and there's some clever scam artists coming up with ways to scam older Americans out of their life um, earnings, essentially, in retirement. So um, there's a few mm-hmm. few of many things that we're working on right now. Mhm, mhm. Right, and and you touched on financial literacy. So my other, my next question is going to be, how important is it? And do you think there is any merit to having it introduced into the education curriculum at an early age? Absolutely. I think it's incredibly important because often people graduate without the the tools, skill set, and even the awareness of financial concepts that will ultimately drive uh, their life satisfaction in some way or another particularly vulnerable mm-hmm. communities, low to moderate income households uh, who who don't have people at home to tell them about saving accounts, what the, the difference between a savings account, checking account, certificate of deposit, uh, managing their money, and even the basics about investing, investing one-on-one, and then also thinking about career options and how that certain careers pay certain, you know, annual salaries and what to do with that annual salary and the home ownership process and uh, buying your first car, all those things are really important. And there are a lot of states that are have implemented financial literacy mandates, essentially, for mm-hmm. as a requirement to graduate from high school. And, mm-hmm. you know, I definitely think it, it will be beneficial if it's introduced more at an earlier age. But there are a lot of local uh, governments and high school around the country who are that are looking at this right now and implementing curriculum to get kids exposed to financial literacy as early as possible. Okay, good. And and with the COVID pandemic shifting the global economy to more e-platforms, how has policy for you and and your organization adjusted to support this? So, I have I've been in a few different roles since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I will just say government in general has become more nimble. Uh, if you think about it from the workforce perspective, government workers are allowed a little bit more flexibility than in prior times, and that allows mm-hmm. the government to source different types of talent that may have been restricted pre-pandemic because of uh, local uh, restraints. Mm-hmm. On the other end, I think there's a little, there's a lot more outreach. You could reach a lot more people. Pre-pandemic, it was more of doing on-site events and making sure that the people who could attend, like, afford to get to a conference were there. Uh, but because of this, the Zoom environment, Skype, and all these other mechanisms, when it's time for share information, a lot more people have access to uh, a lot of the programming and conferences that government entities put on. Uh, especially as a lot of the government programs and, and policies were put in place to help Americans recover. The Zoom environment, remote work, work environment, definitely allow more people to get uh, more access to information faster. Okay. And, and, and given all of this, what are two of the biggest challenges your, your industry faced pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, the new normal? Um, and how has policy development helped to address these or 
could help to address these? Let me take the first one first. The two biggest challenges for the industry is, one, retaining talent and Mm -hmm. keeping talented and engaged uh, folks on staff and building teams out and really accomplishing the mission of government organizations. That's a special purpose, and having that public service motivation is incredibly important. I think the other challenge is just getting Mm -hmm. things done. And I know there's process, there's people, people, like I mentioned, the workforce challenges and keeping people on staff, but just getting Mm -hmm. stuff done in this environment where everything's on demand, there's almost an expectation for government to move faster, everything to move faster. And even the remote work and opportunities that I talked about earlier, there's this expectation that things get done faster. But I think there's the challenge of getting stuff done and being able to put the right time and attention to things so things are done and done the right way. Because (laughs) I think it's important, uh, right? Because people look to their government now to do a lot more, right? And when there are issues... The news is all over it. Everybody's complaining. But a lot of times, the small wins, the big wins, don't often get celebrated because the policy failures or hiccups stand out more, right? Mm-hmm. And then people can point mm-hmm. fingers. So it's a really tough environment to get stuff done uh, and to get things done with, with high quality and to be able to convey the benefits of, of public policy. Right. All right. How do you think policies could perhaps address those two challenges? Just building on what I said, I could easily add a third challenge about trust in government. And I mm-hmm. think um, the way people, you know, go about the way we go about developing public policies is increasing stakeholder engagement. This idea of collaborative government, bringing more people to the table to build consensus, to get more ideas, to better understand the issues that play. Uh, certain pockets of society, certain groups, and just uh, American populace at large. So just building trust mm-hmm. through collaborative gover- governance and getting people engaged in the political process. Right. And and to just flow from that, how, how do you handle the inclusion of persons with disabilities? You mentioned it before that they are one of your most vulnerable groups. Um, so how does policy development processes and outcome um, work to include and protect them? I think broadly speaking, it's about making sure that accessibility is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Accessibility and diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion, right? Just being mindful of the Zoom invitation and making sure that we, there are accommodations or there's a, a small there's a note at the bottom that says, hey, if you need accommodations and providing a number, an email, or, or even doing some outreach before just to make sure that the people that we might not think who are going to show up and want to be involved, go on an extra mile to make sure that people are involved to make sure their voices are heard. Because as you know, and I'm not an expert in this, disabilities take several forms. There's physical disabilities, uh, mental, and there's other ones that I'm not an expert on to speak very candidly about. However, we know that these different forms exist, and we shouldn't just look at someone and assume that they're, you know, fine. They don't need any accommodations. We definitely need to be proactive, and 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 in cases where there are missteps, where accessibility is questioned, we need to be reactive 
and basically, you know, fixing accessibility issues. Okay, and, and if you could create one community-based policy advocacy program in any community at all, what would that program look like for you, and why would that specific program be important enough for you to focus on? I would definitely do – I would go to some communities where there are uh, of low socioeconomic status, poverty line threshold, uh, bouncing back and forth from that poverty line threshold, just do some programming on financial literacy and career planning. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would tailor it as like executive function, coaching, career planning, and financial literacy, like all three. Right. I don't know how to package that in one, but I think it's important. I'll speak to each one. Financial literacy is incredibly important to give people the tools they need to navigate in our complex financial system, especially with the rise of digital assets and just technology has put us in this incredible and exciting and innovative space where money can move very quickly and how people should, like, definitely have a baseline understanding of how to navigate their lives because finances really affects people's mental health, physical health. It affects people's life outcomes and opportunities. Executive function coaching is a mechanism to give uh, young adults confidence, confidence in understanding how to navigate uh, school relationships at, you know, at home, in the community, on sports teams, how to be somewhat of a professional, not trying to beat this, you know, nine-to-five mentality into their head, but just encouraging them to be organized, have a structured approach, you know, take care of themselves, um, stand straight up, walk the park, talk the park, all those things. And then, so we said... um, financial literacy, executive function, coaching, and then the third piece Mm -hmm. is career planning, essentially. It's just being able to help young people understand that there are several different career paths and no one career path looks the same, but having a candid conversation about different types of careers, majors, uh, certificates, minors, graduate programs, the slew of opportunities that people can uh, engage with to invest in their own human capital and why that's a very important uh, way to improve their life's outcome. So just tying those three things together, financial literacy, executive function, coaching, and career planning, I think that would do tremendous good uh, for households in all communities, honestly, not just low to moderate income or households living close to the poverty threshold, but definitely for those marginalized Households, and if I if I had the capital and the time, I would definitely do it myself. What advice would you give to young people interested in working with financial policy? I would encourage young people to look into it because it's an incredibly exciting field. Mm-hmm. One, it's a enjoyable career track for them as professionals. I think it could be very rewarding, whether they are looking to be working at the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, or even in a nonprofit space as a finance professional. There's so many different roles 
but also I want to speak to the impact of some of the work that we do on consumer financial policy is really impactful. It affects Americans and it affects the global economy. So just having some input on how, you know, financial policies are developed and put into effect could really be a rewarding career. And I'm speaking very broadly because there's so many different roles right. that may may not even have the term finance in it, but such as international affairs and um, economics. There's so, there's a lot of different roles, and of course accounting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just think in business in general, but there's a lot of different opportunities. Okay, and and what do you consider to be an important leadership quality, and why do you believe some leaders might succeed or or fail depending on what those their leadership qualities are like? I'll just say a few things. I think the great leaders are able to you know establish a vision, provide direction <laughs> to make the vision a reality. Also keep the team focused and recognize the strengths and weaknesses of each person on the team and try to leverage it as much as possible. A great leader is engaging and inclusive. A great leader also knows how to manage day-to-day work or day-to-day administrative tasks. And a great leader is someone that can listen to their superiors and their team members, their subordinates as well, to really take in their perspective and and not try to answer, not feel like they have all the answers, but just really be this conduit of just listening and and learning while also pushing the team forward. Uh, What is next for Lorenzo? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to take things one day at a time, a week at a time, and... I will say this. What's next for me is wrapping up my dissertation at Virginia Tech. I'm in my dissertation phase for my Ph.D. program in public administration and public affairs. I need to mm-hmm. present my concentration lecture this fall, move on to my dissertation prospectus, and then defend my dissertation sometime uh, spring or summer of 2023. So mm-hmm. that's really what's next for me outside of like my day-to-day work. So that's all I have for you. Thank you again and all the very best, especially with your dissertation in the coming year. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join DVE in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired. DVE Magazine. Excellence and exceptional